0: Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Hello everyone, Uh, I wanted to put a disclaimer on this episode because Coach Foxall and I actually recorded this before the season started and then when the coronavirus hit, uh, obviously we've been putting out content uh, that we felt like was a little bit more relevant uh, for what was going on for everybody but there's a lot of great content on this episode so I didn't want it to go to waste. And then hopefully it's a little bit of a reminder and motivation for what was going on before everything happened. So uh, I did want to release this. Uh, There'll be a couple other episodes here going forward that I recorded before the season started uh, that I do still want to release just because the content's so good. Uh, Just a couple reminders. Again, we have our our webinars going on on Tuesday nights uh, with Jim Richardson and the panels have been great. And so a lot of good content. If you haven't seen those yet, uh, you can always go back to abca.org and watch those webinars that we're putting out on Tuesday nights. Uh, Hopefully everybody's being safe, and thanks again for listening in. Thanks, guys. Scott Foxhall is in his second season with Mississippi State. This past season, Mississippi State's pitching staff had the National Pitcher of the Year in Ethan Small and SEC Freshman Pitcher of the Year in J.T. Ginn. Scott enters his 25th year of coaching. His teams have made nine NCAA tournament appearances, including five straight regional trips, and last year ended with a College World Series appearance. He's had previous stops at NC State, Auburn, and his alma mater, the College of Charleston. During his time in the dugout, Coach Foxhall has seen 52 of his pitchers selected in the MLB draft, 23 All-American selections, and 14 freshman All-Americans. He was just named the Rod Dado Foundation Teaching Professional of the Year. We will discuss Coach Dado in the podcast. Other topics that we cover in the podcast are handling your first year with a new program, the beauty of baseball allowing different styles, the decision on whether to let guys pitch in summer ball, who had the most impact on him as a coach, and what he would tell his 25-year-old coaching self. Let's welcome Coach Fox Hall to the podcast. Uh, for anybody joining in right now, we're Scott Foxhall, Hall, uh, pitching coach here at Mississippi State, and um, wanted to get right into it. He was named the Rod Dato Foundation Teaching Professional of the Year Award. And for anybody listening in that doesn't know Rod Dato, Uh, Rod was a a coaching legend at at the University of Southern California. He was there for 45 seasons. Uh, He won 11 national titles, uh, five uh, straight from 1970 to 1974, and 28 conference championships. Uh, He was the coach of the year six times by Collegiate Baseball and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1970. And then he was named the coach of the century by Collegiate Baseball Magazine and he was one of 10 initial inductees into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and, Scott, can you just speak on that a little bit, what it means to you to actually win that award?
1: Well, it's very humbling just to hear your name in the same sentence yep. um, with, with Coach. Um, and just to, to look um, down the list of the guys that have won it before, that's, that's very humbling. Um, so it's a, it's a big honor for me, and um, I am uh, I'm very proud of, of uh, that someone would think enough of me to uh to to say that I could they could put my name in the same sentence with uh with Coach Dato and, and uh again some of those guys that have wanted in the past from Tom House to uh my good friend Carl Kuhn yep. and saw Roger Williams and Coach Savage, um just t- uh, tremendous coaches that um I'm humbled to be on some kind of list with them
0: yep yep and 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 it's tremendous and you know last year you guys had a great year It was your first year with the program talk a little bit about guys like Ethan Small um national pitcher of the year and then JT Ginn uh SEC freshman pitcher of the year what what made those guys so special for you last year
1: well um I think what made them special is probably the the competitiveness in their character both of them um they went about their business differently um but uh, at the end of the day, in between the lines, those guys wanted to win more than anything. And um, they just, just the competitive spirit with both of those guys, I think, is their trademarks. Um, Ethan is uh, was really more the artist. Um, everybody always tries to, to say you're an artist or a scientist. And uh, Ethan's Ethan's definitely an artist. Um, a little bit of both to, to everybody, a little bit of artist, a little bit of scientist. But... Um, Ethan was the create on the fly, and every game was um, just kind of his canvas, and he painted it a little bit differently from you know how he did his uh, leg lifts and timing to how he pitched to guys to the emotions, and um, it, it just never was the same thing with Ethan. He just had um, he just had wonderful baseball feel, in game feel, and uh, it was uh, it was really a pleasure watching him pitch every time he went out there. I just tried to stay out of his way. Um, over the top slot, pitched up in the zone, more of a analytics, um, from an analytics standpoint, more of the spin rate, vertical break guy. Um, JT um, was just as good in his own right, um, but completely different pitcher from an analytics standpoint. Um, lower slot sinker ball, um, slider, uh, really, uh, commanded both of them. And both of those pitches really tunneled out well for him, caused hitters, a lot of problems. Um, JT more of the scientist. Um, JT wanted to know the other team's lineup, watched a lot of film, um, really, uh, took pride in, in breaking hitters down and understanding their weaknesses compared to his strength. So, um, it was really two guys on opposite ends of the spectrum, but both of them got the, the job done, and, and uh, really, uh, I think one of the reasons we all believe baseball's the greatest game is because there's so many different ways to do things and be successful yeah. in this game, and um, that's why I coach. I love the different personalities. I love the different techniques, and I love figuring out what makes each guy tick and what makes each guy good, and... And um, again, I think that's what's so great about our game is that you can do things um, so differently and still accomplish um, the bottom line goal of of being successful.
0: Did you have any other different guys? You know, I I think as you round out a pitching staff, you're going to have different looks and and you may have some unsung heroes on that staff from last year. Do you have any other guys that, that may be filled in with those guys? You can't do it with two guys. So anybody else that sticks out on your staff last year?
1: Yeah, So we we had, uh, as Coach Lim likes to say, we had a lot of alpha males on our staff last year, <laughs> and in our locker room, just position player wise, from Jake Mangum and Elijah McNamee. But on the pitching staff, um, JT and Ethan um, got everything started on the right track on the weekends, Friday and Saturday, as the starters. But um, how much
0: did it back, help? How much did it help so, that those two guys are two different, completely different looks?
1: I think it helps. I definitely think it's it's so tough, the to game plan, as you go into a weekend in SEC play,
0: um,
1: if you're seeing different looks, especially yep. from starting pitchers. I mean, it's it's hard to decide, you know, what are you doing in that Thursday practice? Do you prepare for Ethan and you sell out to, to get Ethan? And if, if you do, you're probably doing the opposite things that what you have to do to be successful against JT. So I do think it helps to have two guys that are completely different. And, and they got our weekend started off um you know on the right track uh most most weekends um but the back end of the bullpen was one of our strengths last year as well and, and and it was anchored by um cole gordon who was a graduate uh student last year um and just the consummate student athlete um left mississippi state with three degrees um uh you know gpa was through the roof um ended up playing on two college world series teams and and four super regionals in his time here um cole just did a uh, to speak to his his person um cole just did a uh, commercial for our graduate school for mississippi state graduate school awesome. so uh, i don't know how many of those are going around the country where <laughs> baseball players doing the commercial for the graduate school but he um he was awesome in the back end of our bullpen. Um, just a lot of comfort when he was trotting out um, in the ninth inning to, uh, to close out games. The, uh, some of the biggest chill bumps I got last year, and, and, and uh, I got a bunch last year. Some, sometimes it felt like I was in a movie last year with the group we had. But um, Some of the biggest chill bumps I got were uh, Cole Gordon, um, clinched the Regional, and the Super Regional at home in our all-black uniforms, um, which is kind of the traditional Sundays. We wear the all-blacks here at Mississippi State, and Cole Gordon's jogging in from the bullpen in the all-black uniforms with Johnny Cash yep. going in the background, and you want to talk about electrifying a crowd in Mississippi. You got Johnny Cash going with Mississippi State baseball in the all-black trying to clinch a championship, and, and uh, so Cole was really good, um, he was a, a New York Mets draft pick and a very high spin rate breaking ball um, with just really good feel could add and subtract with it. Um, we had Jared Lee Belt was um, was another different look was a low three quarter slot uh, um, righty again a senior. Um, we'll we'll miss all we'll miss both of those guys. Um, Jared Lee Belt uh, one of the uh, one of the neatest things. Everybody knows Pitching Ninja that's breaking down the (laughs) videos now. But uh, Jared Lebel, I think maybe a month ago, whenever they did the awards, he won the nastiest pitch of the year, uh, collegiate pitching uh, of the year award. And uh, he just had a really good sinker. Um, And it was uh, the pitch that won it was a 94-mile-an-hour sinker that just looked like it started on the outside part of the plate to a righty and ended up almost hitting him in the foot. And uh, he was swung over the top of it. The hitter swung over the top of it. So um, Jared Liebelt was really good out of the bullpen. Um, We'll miss him. Um, Tristan Barlow was a lefty that was drafted um, that was kind of a low three-quarter slot with a great breaking ball. And then uh, Colby White was a lane thrower, six-rounder by the uh, Rays, I believe. Um, And he was a junior draft. So those four guys were really special in our bullpen. And and, uh, they complemented those um great starters that we had
0: talk about using the metrics what are you using for metrics rap TrackMan. you know what are you using to get that across to guys like hey here's here's your spin rate um here's how your stuff is going to play what are you using tech wise um to to have those conversations
1: well we um it, it's the same things that we've been using as coaches yep. uh i think for a long time we yes. just described them differently yep. um I think the analytics help us to uh put them, put them in better in categories better. Yes. Um the uh you know the guy that has the high spin rate fastball it's you know we used to say it jumped.
0: Yeah. Um, oh yeah.
1: And, I wrote that in my uh, notes watching
0: Gen P- I I did write that in my notes yesterday actually watching the YouTube videos I'm like the ball's got some late life on it.
1: It does and and the you know, the guys that have the low spin rate and the arm side run, and, you know we used to say it's heavy or he's throwing a yep. bowling ball with late movement, like you just said um the the analytics I think just help us um, compartmentalize those guys a little bit and then speak to them about their strengths um, in a language that they understand now because uh, that's what they're hearing all the time that's what they see on uh on uh, major league baseball um, broadcast um. And, and so I think that's one of the things it does. Um, I, I think it helps us figure out how guys should pitch maybe a little sooner. Yes. Um, I, I think at the end of the day when, when you're, you're, um, you you're have good coaching, the, the coaches will figure out how guys are supposed to pitch yes. through trial and error and through what happens in the games and, and positive and negative feedback. But um, with the analytics, sometimes that speeds the process up now. Yeah. So um, you can tell what a guy's supposed to do or or how we think he's going to be successful a little bit sooner now um, once you put him on uh, the metrics with Rapsodo or Trackman. Um, It it just gets us to where we're going a little faster,
0: I believe. And and last year was your first year with the program. A guy like Ethan Small, he's had success before last year. Did you have to do any sort of adjustments and – you know, when do those conversations or do you just say, Hey, I'm going to let it roll. And then you've got a freshman in again where you can maybe have those conversations a little earlier just because you go both got there at the same time. Um, you know, talk to that a little bit, like, were there any conversations or you just like pat them on the butt and let them go? Or, you know, how does that work, especially in the fall ball and with fall ball for you?
1: I I tried to bring, um, all the guys in one-on-one and meet with them when, when I got the job. Um, I, I tried to just spend some, some, uh, time with them as individuals before we even did anything on the field um we we came into a pretty unique situation and the guys the team that we had inherited had four head coaches in four years yes and um so, so you want we wanted to be really sensitive to that um i remember bringing ethan small in and and uh he sat on the couch he's such an intelligent person um that that's the my first impression of him um really thoughtful and all his responses and And uh, answering the questions but uh I said Ethan tell me a little bit about yourself I I watched the video you know I I saw what you did last year great run to Omaha but tell me about you and I remember Ethan uh, uh, I just said tell me about your journey at Mississippi State and I remember Ethan uh, taking his cell phone out scrolling through his cell phone um, while while he was thinking of his answer and uh, he said "Uh, coach he said, I have 16 people in my phone that are labeled Mississippi State baseball coach. <laughs> and uh, that was from strength and conditioning coaches, assistant yep. coaches, head coaches, just the turnover and, and everything that, um, you know, that those guys had dealt with. It, it really he summed it up pretty, pretty good in that short response. And um, we, we just decided I, I decided, hey, this is a very smart guy. He turned down. Um, he he had been drafted after after his junior redshirt sophomore year, and he turned that down. Um, I think he I think he wanted five hundred thousand dollars, and they had gotten to two hundred thousand dollars. So he he came back. He was coming back to school. He's going to be our ace. But um, I, I kind of decided when with that response. You know what? He's had a lot of good coaches. Um, he's had tremendous experience here. Um, the biggest thing I can do with this guy that's so smart is um watch what he's learned from his trial and error and and kinda let him go and, and maybe steer him in the right direction every now and then. Um so that's kind of the relationship I, I had with Ethan. We um we talked about maybe pitch efficiency a little bit. Um he was a high, high pitch count guy his first couple of years um as a starter. So we tried to set some, um, goals that, that, uh, that he could, that that he could focus on, um, from a mechanical delivery standpoint. Um, he was a guy that was on the ball of his foot a little bit. He traveled foot to foot, maybe a little bit more on the ball of his foot. And I think he got a little more centered with his feet, um, and his delivery, but man, other than those couple of things, I, I let, I let that guy roll. Like you said, I mean, well, he, he is yeah. just, uh, he is just so intelligent and I trusted him. And I think, uh, you know, when Ethan looks back at hopefully what he thinks about me as a coach and, and, uh, his journey with me last year, that, that he'll say that he appreciated the fact that I trusted him.
0: Yeah. And, you know his tempo smoothed out you watch this 2018 film his 2019 film his tempo did smooth out through his delivery a little bit more really slight you know you talked about him turning the money down and, and college coaches deal with this Did you have any conversations with that? Because he had a great season and, you know, sometimes a guy turns down a little bit of money and and they're pitching for the draft or hitting for the draft. Did you have to have any conversations with him or was was he mature enough to to understand that, okay, this is a great decision to come back to Mississippi State for another year and just kind of roll it out there. Did you have to have any conversations with him on that part of it?
1: That process was already completed by the time I got – I was in place at Mississippi State, so I I really didn't – other than to um, find out what had happened so that I understood his journey a little bit better. Um, I didn't, I didn't really, he, he, I wasn't the person he was seeking advice from. He got some really good guidance from his advisor, from coach Lamonas, from his family. Um, and, and really, I, I think, like like most guys that make good decisions he, he believed in himself more than anything he was he, he just decided to bet on himself yeah he knew what he could do and and uh what he thought would happen the following year and and uh, i'm so proud of him and so happy for him that it turned out the way it did
0: jt gann did you know he was going to be really good for you guys in the fall um did he have any hiccups at all or did he hit the ground running and you know was gangbusters from the beginning to the end for you guys
1: well, I, you you know you you figure a guy's good when he's drafting the first round at <laughs> high so that's just, uh, Hey, that's not always high. the case. <laughs> so uh, uh, but but um we've coached baseball long enough to know that that um, e- e- the first round pick um sometimes is is a, a lot of ability and talent but not necessarily a, a lot of function right away. Yes. Um so yeah, the, the fall was a little bit of a um proving ground for JT but um uh, he, he did prove himself he um the the good ones uh the funny funny story about JT um you know I, I we talked about JT um you're in college because you you got to learn how to pitch and you want to be a starter um you know I, I think he felt he was labeled a little bit because of his size, yes. um, his stature, his body type, hey, yep. this is a powered arm reliever. Um, and, and, you know, JT takes offense to that. He, yep. he wants to be thought of as a pitcher. I can yeah. throw multiple pitches for strikes. I can command. So one of the reasons he's in college is, is for that, um, to, to just show the world that he could be a, um, be a starting pitcher. And so in the fall, we talked about um, with him, just like Ethan, hey, starters are efficient and uh you know it's not always about striking everybody out even when you can and you know to be a to be a productive starter you have to keep your pitch count to a spot where you can get into the sixth inning and so uh i'm getting to my funny story with jt we, we played our uh, one fall uh, game against another team last fall we played at jacksonville state we took our team there and, and uh jt was gonna start and i said jt it was the end of the fall, and he had already pretty much proven himself. But I said, "Hey, we're going against another team, and you—this uh, is a good chance for you to to show everybody what you've learned about efficiency." I said, "You have um, you have forty five pitches. Um, That—that's we're, we're going to go. Um, we're going to go three innings or uh, or forty five pitches. I want you to uh, show us that you're efficient." So. Um, JT rolls out there and he goes three innings, three innings in like 29 pitches. (laughs) And, uh, he comes in and I knew, I knew, uh, and he's getting ground balls. His sink is, is, uh, superhuman and he's getting ground balls early in the count. And I could tell he was making a conscious effort to pitch to contact and to, um, to do the things that we talked about. So it's three innings and 29 pitches. It's unbelievable. But I knew what was coming. He's running off the field after that third inning, and he comes right up to me, Coach. I got one more. I want one more. And I said, JT, you've gone three. He goes, but you said forty five pitches, and I don't have any. I've got one strikeout. Yeah. And I said, remember, we said you know, strikeouts aren't that important. We're you know we're pitching the contact. We're trying to be efficient. He goes, but I, just the the alpha male in him came yep. out, and he wanted the strikeouts. Yeah. And I said, all right, JT, you you've got. 16 pitches but if you hit that count in the middle of the inning you're coming out yep. in the middle of the inning so you know and, and pitchers never like to do that either so um he rolled back out there for that fourth inning um hunting strikeouts and knowing his um pitch count and he struck out the side on 14 pitches <laughs> okay. and uh it's just when you have a special guy like yeah. that i looked at, at chris Lamonis in our dugout and I, I said man this this kid is special like he just understands what his ability is and he, he pitched the first three innings with a good plan for a starter, but he wanted those strikeouts yep. and he knew how to get Empty them. Empty the tank and he out. ran back out there in the fourth and got him. Yeah.
0: Now what's the timeline for those guys then after that? So you got a you got a junior, you've got a freshman, how are you handling those guys then for preseason? And and I, I consider this time of the year preseason because you're getting ready for the season. I don't like the, the term off season. It's preseason how are you now handling? Is that just completely individual uh, for guys, what you're doing with them this time of the year? Is it, is it everybody's on the same program? How are you doing working guys this time of year now Now that they're at home?
1: Yeah, we we pretty much um, try to individualize it. Now, they're in different categories, so there's there's a, um, a pretty big category of guys that, that do um, a very similar program, um, but we try to find out about their background and what's made them good. Like with JT, for instance, JT was a two way player. He was a shortstop, yep. um, really was never a, um, starting pitcher until his senior year in high school. So, um, JT's growing program in the off season really come, um, comprised, it's comprised a lot of, uh, he'll take some ground balls and throw, throw like a position player, um, from either shortstop or second base, just so he doesn't lose his athleticism and, and, uh, his feel for, uh, having a fluid delivery. He is, uh, he's gotten better at long toss. We'll have some long toss in there. Um, he throws such a heavy ball that sometimes as he, as he keeps uh, moving out, um, it's almost like the guy on the golf course that has the bad slice. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it, it's, it's really moving arm side. So he's had to learn to command that a little bit and stretch it out. But the guys have some, some guys are working on a particular aspect of their, uh, mechanics. Um, so We have some different guys that are on program for maybe a, a firmer lead leg. Uh, we got some guys that are working on some arm action things that, that affect their throwing program. And, and then, uh, obviously, the, uh, just after the fall, you, you try to figure out these are starters, these are relievers, these are middle relievers, these are hybrid guys, and, and that affects their throwing program too as well, what yep. you're trying to get them ready to do in exactly. the spring.
0: Yeah, you get a guy through the whole spring. How do you make decisions on summer baseball? You know, and and I think that's evolved over time. Now, it does a guy go out at all? Does he does he stay at home? You know, what decisions are you making now for guys as far as summer baseball?
1: When I coached at Auburn, I had the the uh, really good fortune of of Doctor Andrews was um, kind of uh, had his clinic in our stadium, and I saw him on a weekly basis. And my opinions on that kind of uh, are, are are influenced greatly by him, but I try in my mind. I try to um, split the year up into thirds. Um, I believe we have spring baseball, obviously, um, that's coming up. We have summer baseball is the the second third, and then we have fall baseball. Um, and and I kind of split my year for a pitcher into those into those thirds. And um, I like for him to throw competitively off the mound in two of those three. Yep. Um, and and that's kind of how I look at it. So we'll just see after the spring you know is is it a guy that threw competitively enough um, in the spring and then we have to decide do we want that to continue and to have him throw the summer and those are his two out of three the spring and summer and then next fall we'll just uh we won't let him compete as much off the mound or do we want him to take that summer off because it was a really heavy workload yep. in the spring and have him pitch competitively again in the fall so it's a case by case, um, and, and constant feedback from the, the guys. Obviously, their development um, comes into play with that decision, as well as their um,
0: arm health. So, say you got a guy that's been shut down. What what kind of timeline are you using to get them back to pitch competitively? You know, how how long for you? I think everybody's got a, a different take on it. But say you guy got, got a guy that's been shut down for for one of those seasons. How right. long are you taking to get them back?
1: In general, and I, I default to my good friend Alan Jaeger.
0: Like, <laughs> I, and yeah, I do, too. I do, too. The okay. year-round throwing manual, I think, I think is does. great. It's it, Well, it's perfect. I, I think the year-round throwing manual is, is great. For anybody listening in that doesn't have it, please go get the year-round throwing manual. He just came out with a new pro edition. Please get the manual. It's awesome. It will walk you through step-by-step. Step. I think for any age group of kid that's out there, it will walk you through step-by-step step the whole calendar year, and, and it'll keep you healthy the whole year. I, I love it. It
1: is. It's one of the most important pieces of baseball literature that we have. I, I
0: completely and, uh, agree.
1: So, you know, when you look at that program, it, it's about a, a six-week um, build buildup, yep. um, you know, and, and maybe in that sixth week or the seventh week, depending on the, the individual um, you can start with bullpens again. Um, yeah. And I think that's a safe way to, to bring them back. So it, yeah. it's uh, um, it's time-consuming. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you get these fast-twitch guys or the younger guys, and they want to go faster than that. But it's our job to keep them healthy, and, and yes. that, that's usually the time frame I use to bring them back, Ryan. Yeah.
0: Did you have anything, you know, after the year with, with TJ, Spencer and I talked about this. I think it's really hard. You have a, a freshman that has a great year. Did you guys do any? tweaking with him this fall at all did he make any changes he you
1: know the biggest thing about jt is that he um he had never thrown that many innings like the most innings he'd ever thrown was 37 innings and i mean that was it in high school so he threw 80 innings um our fall um was spent uh, with the conditioning part and um really uh workload management and yeah. how we're going to do that going into the spring now that he's been through at one time um you know what are the let's try to find the right routine that gets you because if there was a knock on jt he was he was better from february through april than he was so, april through oh, yeah that's your typical freshman and, right run out of but gas that's right. He ran out of gas. And so we're, we're trying, you know, we, we did some trial and error with throwing program work workload. How's your arm feel? How's it bouncing back? This is, this is what we're going to have to do during the the spring. Now you've been through it one time and JT is a, I mean, he is really a baseball genius. He's got some good feel. So, uh, we, we, uh, we had a lot of back and forth. Um, and then, uh, maybe because of the fatigue, but, um, his lower half um, was wasn't quite as good in yep. the uh, second half. So we worked on a lot of lower half stuff um, in in the fall. He threw three innings, and it was it was fun. It was uh, funny because I never know. Um, he's the guy, like I said, with long toss that yeah. his ball's so heavy yep. that he doesn't stretch it out. So sometimes. You know, with Ethan Small, I knew he was going to throw hard, and we've all had the guys that you know they're going to throw hard because they're throwing the ball three hundred and fifty feet, exactly. you know, in long toss. Well, JT, once it gets like past one eighty, like it, he doesn't go that much further than that. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, so all through the fall, we're working on just the things I mentioned, and and he's doing a throwing program. But you can't you can't tell, um, and even in his bullpens, it 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 looks very pedestrian.
0: Yep. Um, and well, even so his warm-up he, pitches, you know, when you're watching him, his warm-up pitches, yeah. just everything's nice and easy, and then the ball hops on you. Hey, yeah. hey did you have any conversations with him? Because his stretch time's slow. You know, and I, I know yeah, as, a, as a fresh, well, as a freshman, you're just trying to get him through the spring. Like, yeah. that. that's one of those things that you evolve over time because you can't throw everything on their plate because – if you emphasize it too much, he may not throw as many strikes. And, you know, those are all right. that that natural progression with a, a younger guy to an older guy that, okay, this might be something that, that you might be able to start working on without completely tearing yourself down command-wise.
1: No doubt. He got way better at that. He, he's he's yeah. going to be a guy that controls the running game a lot yeah. better this year. Well, and, if you
0: don't lay anybody on, though, you don't have to worry about it either.
1: Well, that's, that's <laughs> the other part. And, and it, he's – like I said, the arm is just so easy, and yes. he we, he threw two times this fall just for the scouts, you know, yeah. and, and uh, he threw one inning in one outing and two innings in another, and um, Limbs said, hey, you've been throwing with him all fall. What's this going to be like? And I go, I don't know. I can't yeah. tell. Like, yeah. the bullpens are so easy. The long talk, yeah. like, I don't know, 90 93? And um, he goes, all right, well, I it, you'll be happy if it's between 90 and 93. And I said, yeah, I'll be happy if it's 993 from what we've been doing. So he goes out that first inning. And you know you know how crazy the scouting world is. I like, know. I mean, there's 45 guns pointed yeah. at this kid. Like, he's throwing one inning I, in the fall. And,
0: and he's only a sophomore. And,
1: and, <laughs> and, yeah. Well, no, he's draft eligible. Is he
0: draft eligible? Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes but,
1: so, but there's 45 guns pointed at this kid. And um, he rolls out there and throws one inning 96, 97, yeah. Yeah. and I'm like, I mean, it's just, he's that special of a, yeah. he just is so good on the mound, like, he uses the slope, his timing, yeah. Every like, it's just completely different than when he throws on flat ground, it, it's uh, it's very explosive, and so he, uh, he threw those three innings this fall in front of all those scouts, and it was like, every every fastball was between 94 and 97 and touch 98
0: you've had a great career who's had the most impact on you as an assistant coach
1: wow um you know i've been around so many great people the um but my my list probably starts with coach hal baird um coach baird was uh i was a walk-on at auburn um coming out of high school and uh coach baird was uh the head coach at, at auburn and and uh Many people know him um, probably through some, through some stories about Bo Jackson and Frank yes. Thomas. He coached those guys in college, coached Tim Hudson in, in college. Um, I saw that some, some 97 team
0: at the College World Series where Hudson was the SEC yeah. player of the year. He wasn't the pitcher of the year. He was the SEC player of the year, an unbelievable center fielder.
1: Yeah, great, great, um, great two-way player and, and – uh, he and a, and a better person than player. He he, he lived uh, right around the corner from us and when I coached at Auburn. He's he's a tremendous person, and a lot of that speaks to Coach Bayard, his development of players and people, and, and he had a big Im- he has a big influence on me. Coach Coach Ralph Cipitery gave me my first coaching job uh, at the College of Charleston, and, and uh, I, I loved him and can't thank him enough for for that. Um, I worked for John Pulowski almost. 20 years, almost, I guess, between 15 years, 20 years, and, and he had a big influence on a good, very great pitching mind, um, very organized person. My, my four years at NC State, I, I don't know if anybody has uh, could, could have a bigger impact on me in such a short amount of time, but Coach Elliot Avent is, uh, um, is just a tremendous person, um, motivator, uh, leader of men. Um, so he had a big influence on me and, and, uh, but, but I, I, you know, I try not to limit my learning from, to my head coaches. I've worked with a lot of great yeah. guys. Um, you know, I worked with Link Jarrett at Auburn and, and he continues to be one of my best friends and, and I learned he's a hitting guy, but, but, uh, sometimes the hitting guys are the best guys for the pitching guys to learn from. And vice versa. Figure out what...
0: uh, and vice versa. I think the pitching guys are great for the hitting guys to learn from as well. Yeah. And, and, and so,
1: we, we like to talk baseball, talk shop a lot. Um, two of my best friends and, and peers are Carl Kuhn and Mark Calvey, and, and uh, I've learned a lot from those guys. And then, uh, man, you learn from the players. I think I learned from my yep. players um, just as much as I learned from the people I work yep. with. Uh, Ethan Small, I learned a lot from him last year. Um, uh, I, Brian Brown, I had, was the ACC Pitcher of the Year a couple of years ago, and, and uh, learned a lot from, from Brownie. Uh, I had grant dayton at 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 uh, auburn who's a big leaguer left handed pitcher um very smart pitching person and personality and and uh i, I just i try to to uh incorporate the the peer learning in, within our practice um just as much as as i try to to give instruction on my own yeah. just because i've i've learned so much from the players and and they speak the same language so i, I yes. remember back when I was a player i felt like Man, this guy showed me a great change-up grip, or or this guy taught me about how to think in this situation, and so um, I try to give those guys some some time um, during our practice sessions where they talk to each other, and and uh, our staff last year got to pick Ethan Small's brain, and and we'll ask JT to be a leader this year um, and, and give his um, viewpoints on different things within the game and and I, I just think it's important that you don't limit your learning yep. um it, it can come from all
0: different places if you could go back and tell your 25 year old assistant self one thing what would it be if you could go back right now and tell him you're looking at yourself at 25 would you tell him something
1: i think it would be that i yep. think i think it took me a while to learn that you know um a lot of us when we get into coaching we think about that that we uh that we know everything and and, uh i think it would just be man have an open mind and and there's more ways to do things than than what you think right now and and uh i I realize that now i feel i i find myself being a lot quieter now than i used to for sure You, you listen and and you think about the things you were teaching back then and how it's evolved and and you know it's just continuing to evolve so it's just always having an open mind and and don't um don't think uh, we know that we love this game because there's so many different ways to do it but but then as we're teaching we we get in that mindset where well, you have to do it this way you have to do it that way yeah. and it's it's just kind of a paradox and and I think I would tell myself hey make sure you're always keeping an open mind and understanding that that's what makes this game great is that there are multiple ways to do things yeah
0: you've been at some in some pressure programs you know the programs that you've been at there's some expectation to win do you have any morning or evening routines that you do that you like that you feel like help you maybe decompress or allow you to stay healthy uh you know i think all coaches need help on that side of things do you have any one? you know, have a one or two routine that you do every day that you really like that that you feel like would help a, a coach listening right now
1: well i think there's just you just have to get away from it sometimes yep. um, you, you know you, you have to have the the time where it's not all baseball whether it's whether you're a movie guy Coach Lim's a movie guy he yeah. likes to go to go uh, watch a movie and, and get away from the game um, it, it's it's important to spend time with your family and, and get away with them um, to decompress sometimes so I, I just think allowing for some time in the morning or or at night where you put the phone down where you you um, zone out a little bit from from the game. Um, It is important and it gives you perspective Um, because if you're just doing one thing all the time, it's impossible to have perspective. Yes. And uh, I think the best coaches have perspective and and they they're uh, multidimensional. And in order to relate to the day's um, players, I think you have to be multidimensional. If you can only speak the language of baseball with these guys, I, I think it's hard to win them over and it's hard for them to trust you. So um just just uh setting aside some time to be a, a more well rounded person I think is important. Yeah.
0: Last question here before I, I let you go. Hey, and you can remind Chris, uh, a couple years ago, we played at IU and he called, he was at an Eagles concert with a booster from IU the night before when he called me because we Please had we had, we had weather coming in. So he goes, hey, sorry, I, I I was at the Eagles concert last night. So I think anybody <laughs> gets can get away from it. It's going to help them immensely um, with the perspective side of it. Any book or podcast recommendations? You know, I think some guys are book guys, some guys are podcasts. Guys, do you have any books or podcasts that you can recommend anybody listening in right now?
1: There's a book I read a couple years ago that I think's really good. Grit yep. is the name yep. of it, and uh, it uh, it just talks about. Um, I, I think it's really applicable to our sport yep. um, because uh, the old saying that's a little funny that you got to be seven feet wide to play football and you got to be seven feet tall to play basketball but normal people play baseball. And uh, the reason normal people are successful at baseball is, is just because, or the most successful ones, is because of the grittiness of yes. the, the stick to and the, the, the way you, the trial and error that you approach the game and, and you keep doing it until you get it right. And those are the most successful baseball players. And, and the book really talks about that characteristic. They try to define what grid is or she tries to define what grid is and and how um the most successful people in the world um and she was she broke down
0: i think it's uh, angela duckworth i think is it is is angela Angela
1: there's a good ted on that as well yes there is um, yep that that kind of uh before you get the book if you want to preview it on that ted yep um it's really good but it's it's talking about how um, the most successful people in the military the most successful people at their trades whether it's a surgeon or then she gets into athletes she actually cites baseball a lot but um just talks about the characteristics that make people successful and and what the predictors are of a successful person which has helped me help does in recruiting i think um from that perspective just trying to figure out what the right questions to ask the kids you're interested in and 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 uh try to predict which ones are going to have success. But the, the bottom line was it, it's not all about the talent or ability. Um, the, the She found that the, the most successful people in the world were just the people that didn't give up.
0: Yeah. Yep. And yep, it, exactly.
1: they it just showed up every day and, and, yep. and through trial and error figured out their craft or their trade. And I think it's a very important book. I got a lot out of it. Yeah.
0: Well, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on. It means a lot. I've known you for a while, and I think Jeff Duncan introduced us a long time ago. I think it was at at Perfect Game National in Minneapolis a while ago. Thank you for coming on. Um, Everybody's going to get a ton out of this, and please enjoy this time of year. Um, You know, you get a little bit of a break. Hopefully you're able to decompress a little bit and get ready for the year, but uh, tell the whole staff I said, hey, okay.
1: I'll do it, Ryan, and thank you, guys. Um, I, I appreciate you and everything you and Craig everybody do to promote our game and look forward to seeing you guys in January.
0: Yep. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Bye-bye. I love that Scott and I got to introduce people to Rod Dado that may not know him. Uh, Coach Dado uh, was one of the many pillars of the college coaching profession. Uh, We all owe a show of gratitude to him for where the game of baseball is at now. And it was a sad day for college baseball and baseball in general Uh, when Coach Dado passed away. Uh, The list of the past recipients of this award are a who's who in the pitching world. Uh, You can tell why Coach Foxhall has had success wherever he's coached. Uh, I've always been impressed with how humble he is. Uh, He's an intelligent pitching mind and a great communicator. Uh, Thanks again for everybody listening in. Uh, I really do hope that you're picking up something along the way to help you on your journey. Again, this is Ryan Brownlee signing off from the American Baseball Coaches Association offices in Greensboro, North Carolina. Remember to leave it better for those behind you, and thanks. To to you so
1: I don't have time.
0: I don't have time Still wanna play with all we roll And I don't have time To say to you so long